Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is producer Dawson Iserlow and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. The Louisiana Raging Cajuns are headed to Orlando. Can they get some of that Disney magic and pull off an upset? The LSU women staying at home. Can they get to the Sweet 16? And Scotty Shuffler. Well, he's just that guy. He's just that guy right now in the world of golf. So much to get to, and we'll try to tackle it all. On this Monday edition of RP3 and Company, I'm your host, the big, bald, and beautiful one, Raymond Parch III. Of course, joining me, as always, is Dawson Iserlo here inside the Evco Development Studios in Upper Lafayette. Evco Development is a civil construction company that specializes in new multifamily construction. What we specialize in here on RP3 and Company is getting to everything that you care about. And there was so much that happened over the weekend. We'll get to the NCAA tournament brackets being released yesterday. We're going to get to the blockbuster trade that happened over the weekend involving the number one overall pick for the upcoming NFL draft involving the Carolina Panthers and the Chicago Bears. We're going to touch on that. We're going to touch on the Players' Championship and how Scotty Scheffler, after a rough start to Sunday, was able to maintain the course and then pull away for a comfortable win to reclaim his position as the world's best golfer. College baseball action, Cajuns, McNeese, LSU. We'll get to that. We'll get to softball as well. We'll also get to those Pelicans because our guy D'Lo was in the house to watch them perform poorly on Saturday night, but then they turned around, bounced back with a win. But is it too little too late? We'll discuss that as well. Oh, and by the way, the Meanies Cowboys made it official with a release yesterday that Will Wade has been hired as the new men's basketball coach there in Lake Charles. We'll get to that. There's also going to be a press conference today. Yours truly will be there in attendance as a new era begins for both Will Wade and, of course, the McNeese basketball program. But first things first, Dawson, did you get any rest this weekend? And just how crazy of a weekend was it for you sports-wise? Yeah, you know, the f- number one, you said the number one pick thing. I completely forgot that was this weekend. What was that, Friday? Yes. Because I thought you were talking about the Jalen Ramsey trade, which also happened yesterday. So the best cornerback in the league on the move. I mean, it was yeah, it was crazy. And uh, a lot of driving involved with the weekend, but it was fun. Um, the Pelicans, unfortunately, were disgusted for me to be in their presence. <laughs> and they reflected that with their play. Disgusted by your presence. But I think I was able to motivate them to come back out on Sunday, not give in, not give up, still hope for the season. And you saw maybe their bet. 
Have you ever? I mean, wow, 82 games in a season. It might have been the worst performance of the year, followed by the best performance of the year. It really might have been. I mean, I I know you could probably pick a couple of games that looked worse than Oklahoma City, but the circumstances involved with being at home against a team that's chasing you in the standings, I thought made that just one of the worst performances of the year. And then you follow it up by just absolutely having, you know, one of your best nights. I mean, what was it? Season high, three points, three point shots made. Trey Murphy goes off of 41. I mean, it was just. Wow, what a what a what a contrast of two days. So, yeah, and we'll also, yeah, it was it was a jam packed weekend. College baseball, college softball, of course, one of the most egregious uh, strike calls you'll ever see in a game by an umpire in, in a Southern Conference game, who was rightfully uh, suspended for. Not being professional. We'll just say that. We'll get to that as well. Yeah, your Pelicans. Um, yeah, they uh, they're just gonna mess around and miss the playing tournament. That's what it feels like to me. They're gonna mess around and just miss it. By the way, the Lakers, who everyone wanted to bash, they're playing good basketball. By the way, the Lakers are. Just like to point that out. Woof. Let's begin with the NCAA tournament, though. Plenty of drama with not the fact that we knew that the Cajuns were going to get into the field because we already knew that because they won their conference tournament, but they were the last region unveiled live on television. (laughs) And you kept going, you're like, okay, is this going to be the one? Is this going to be the one? Nope. Oh, it's going to be the last one. Which was pretty good. You had a little couple of false starts there at the watch party that the Raging Cajuns men's basketball team had at walk-ons over there on Collie Saloon. Got to go to that. And, you know, every time they get around the the four or five seed or six seed matchup, you know, the room got really, you know, anticipation grew. Everyone had their phones out to, to record the announcement up on one of the bazillion flat screen televisions big screen tvs that were in the room jam-packed ton of cajun fans shout out to them not only did they pack the room where we were watching it with all the media but they packed the bar and the restaurant it was a sight to behold there was cake they had posters the players were signing posters for kids and adults the whole nine yards we kept talking about the trendy pick had been one or two things Cajuns were either going to have to play Tennessee, a team they have previously played twice in the NCAA tournament, one time in controversial fashion. They also played them in the NIT. They played them in the NCAA one year and then the NIT the next. And actually, Jordan Brown's dad for the Raging Cajuns, who of course played for the Raging Cajuns, played in one of those games against Tennessee. So now his son gets to play against them as well in the NCAA tournament. It's a nice... It's nice. But it was either going to be Tennessee or it was going to be Duke. Lots of projections started saying that it was going to be Dukies who won the ACC tournament and that that was going to be taking place in Greensboro. Well, they ended up being in the same regional with Duke and Tennessee, but they end up playing Tennessee in the first-round matchup, and that will be done in Orlando. Still good distance for... The Raging Cajuns, 
Obviously, you would love it to be in Birmingham because that had been closer, but Orlando's not that far away. Quick turnaround Thursday's not ideal. I don't love that. But they played Tennessee a few years ago. They know Bob Marlin and them understand what's at stake here. They've had time to prepare. And here's the thing that helps them. We see this every year. One, for me, Tennessee is coached by Rick Barnes, whose teams are notoriously known for doing what, Dawson, in the NCAA tournament? Getting upset. There it is. For whatever reason, when he was at Texas and since he's been at Tennessee, this happens all the time to Rick Barnes' team. They're well-coached. They're disciplined. They do really well in the regular season. Sometimes they even do well in their conference tournaments. And when they get to the NCAA tournament, Tennessee's one of those teams that just finds a way to lose to a lower seat. And before then, Texas. I don't know what it is about. Does he get nervous? Does his team reflect him? I don't know. That's one. Two, veteran teams, when we see these mid-majors in particular, upset the big dogs. What do those teams usually have, Dawson? A lot of veteran guys. There it is. And what do the Raging Cajuns have? A lot of veteran guys. Right. And here's the other part. And we brought this up yesterday during the press conference. Jordan Brown has been on a team and has gotten minutes in a couple of NCAA tournaments. Terrence Lewis II knows what it's like to play in an NCAA tournament. He did so at North Texas. So you have your two, you know, veteran guys, two of your best players, two guys that were named to the All Sun Belt tournament team that know how to prepare for the NCAA tournament, who understand what it's like to go to a neutral site, who understand what it's like to be playing a different arena. That's going that that's a huge deal. I can't express to you how big of a deal that is. I'm not sitting here saying that the Cajuns are going to upset the Volunteers on Thursday night. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that I really love their chances because they have two guys that have been there and done that. This is the fourth time Bob Marlin has led a team to the NCAA tournament. And this is a veteran team. I know Tennessee's going to be tough. I get it. They got a big fella, too, that is going to be is one heck of a, a player. They're a heck of a program. I'm not saying it's going to be easy. But as soon as the bracket gets released, Seth Davis sits there and says on national television during the unveiling, he, when he goes through and he gives wants to give his upset picks, and the first one that comes out of his mouth for that regional is Louisiana over Tennessee. Yeah, he gave a lot of upset picks. He gave though. a lot of upset. He's going to I know, I know. You just can't help yourself. Throw a few darts foot, at the foot board. Foot is huh? rubbing off on you. You take a positive and you turn it into a negative already. Already. No, yeah. Oh, here we go. Okay. <laughs> a few thoughts. We were coming up on a break, but I'll give a few thoughts yes. here. Yes. Uh first, back to the matchup and kind of the where they were placed things like that. Don't underestimate the fact too that they were put in the primetime CBS slot, uh or at no. least the second primetime slot cuz yeah. of course there's primetime which that that's a that's a big deal. Now, you know, is that more about Tennessee or UL? I don't know, but 
it's probably a little more about Tennessee, but it's still yeah. important. You know, they didn't get hidden at one o'clock on True TV or TBS, which it, that does matter for you know your, you know your exposure factor. It also um, matters to impractical Joker fans. Well, see, that Most would shows. be me. That is I, my favorite show of all time. So you know. It, oh, it there we go. Um, but anyway, the other thing here is I, I felt good early on about the draw. I think it's a better break than playing Duke. I think Duke's playing really well Ooh, right yeah. now. So I, I like that they got that break. Um, and I felt pretty decent about this draw, but Vegas doesn't feel the same way. The Cajuns are by far the biggest underdog of any of the 13 seeds. They, the line opened at 13 points as an underdog. It's down to around 10.5 right now, um, but that was surprising to me. I did not see uh, Vegas thinking that poorly of the Cajuns, but here we are with that. The, the Volunteers also, though, are a veteran group themselves, so I think that's important to remember. But they are without their point guard. So uh, there, there's a lot of things going now. Will the Cajuns be without Greg Williams? It sounded, everything I've heard Bob Marlin say Ooh. sounds like he's very confident that Greg's going to play. Um, how healthy will Greg be? I'm pretty confident he'll give it a go, right? This is, you know, his last NCAA tournament game. I mean, his last collegiate game in all likelihood. So He's going to play. The question is. Yeah, how effective is he? How effective he's going to be. So uh, a lot of things early on to kind of digest there, but. Um, I think there certainly could have been worse matchups. There certainly could have been worse locations, and there certainly could have been worse time slots. So, all things considered, I think the Cajuns ended up um, pretty pretty fortunate yesterday. And you look at the Cajuns' record, right? Twenty six and seven. Some of those early season losses. Drake, they're in the NCAA tournament, right? They're in. Uh, the Texas Longhorns are a two seed. They're in the tournament, so. If you take away a couple of those Sunbelt losses where you, you scratch your head early, like Coastal and, and Old Dominion, they lost to some teams that are in the tournament. They took play, they they have guys who have experience in the NCAA tournament, and they played in that Asheville tournament during the season. And they've played in the Sunbelt tournament. Those can't hurt them in this regard. So Louisiana Raging Cajuns going to be taking on the Tennessee Volunteers Thursday night, opening day of the NCAA Men's Tournament. We'll talk more about this here from Bob Marlin, Jordan Brown, and Terrence Lewis II. That'll be coming up next right here on The Game. This is RP3 and Company on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Tune in every weekday at 8.15 a.m. and 3.15 p.m. for the LSU Sports Update. Presented by Tibbs Trailers here on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's Sports Station. Oh, welcome back to RP3 and Company as we broadcast live from the Evco Development Studios in Upper Lafayette. Woo! Jam-packed show today. Jam-packed show today. Raging Cajuns had their watch party at Walk-Ons there on Kali Sum. It was packed, man. It was absolutely packed. I The parking lot was full. The overflow parking lot was full. I had to graciously uh, park in uh, behind Pizza Village. <laughs> and I don't think they mind. <laughs> Jam-packed. And we all got to watch it live as the Cajuns were unveiled in the last regional shown 
by CBS on the air, and they get to play Tennessee in the opening round. That's the 4-13 matchup. And Bob Marlin afterwards talked about just how excited he and his team are to be the 13th seed in the NCAA tournament. Well, we were excited to get a 13. Every time it popped up, we thought we were going to be next. And we saw Albany, New York, and we weren't too excited about that, except for Isaiah and Vince. But they've got family there. Uh, but, no, it was a, a big thrill and to see your name called. And I didn't hear what all Clark Kellogg said. He called me this week left me a minute-and-a-half message. It was pretty special. It was the best call I got all week on Tuesday morning. So I'll have to go home where it's quiet and play that. Coach Marlin getting called by Mr. Kellogg. Getting left voicemails. Look, they're excited. And they rightfully were. Every time they come around, they thought, okay, maybe we're 12, 13, or 14 seed, and then it didn't get called, and they get all excited, and they're like, oh. But then they were excited when they realized they didn't have to go to Albany, New York. <laughs> there was there was cheering when they figured out they didn't have to go to Albany. They're like, oh, man, thank goodness we don't have to go all the way to Albany, New York. They were very excited to be down in Florida for this game. And look, this is a veteran team. Dawson and I talked about it, and Bob Marlin talked about this group, this year's Raging Cajun team. You know what? They're going to be ready to play come Thursday night. They'll be fine. They'll, they'll be excited. They'll be a little bit of nerves early. There always is. Uh, but we've got some experience, Raymond, coming to the, to the tournament. Uh, Jordan Brown's been to Sweet 16 before. He's participated a couple times. And uh, also uh, Terrence Lewis went at North Texas. So we know – that it's going to be exciting, but feel like that our guys will be, be relaxed enough to play. We'll have to up take good care of the ball. Tennessee's a great defensive team, and we'll, we'll make, have to make sure we can score the ball. That is what Tennessee's kind of known for, and that's what Rick Barnes has been known for, right? Even his teams at Texas were kind of tenacious when it came to their defense. Once again, volunteers, huge favorite. You heard Dawson uh, talk about it. And he's not looking. He's not trying to be a wet blanket. He's just trying to be honest. He's just letting you know that Vegas does not side with the Cajuns. I do think Vegas struggles with the NCAA tournament, though. I think that's fair, right? I, I, I think yeah, I was I was thinking about that on the drive over here, actually, thinking about kind of um, some of the, like like think of St. Peter's last year, which again I know they can't predict every upset, but. Um, that was something that uh, you know, even Vegas had Kentucky as I think what were they? They were more bigger favorites than what Tennessee is against the Cajuns. So correct, correct. It's it, it's difficult because there's so many teams. There's 68 teams, and there's no way the Vegas guys are watching all those games. They're just not. And the tournament's different, right? We see it every year. It's all about the matchups, and you get one team that plays a different style that you're not accustomed to, and you have an off night. You're done. That's how it works. They had the time off because their conference tournament wrapped up the prior week, as we know, because we were in Pensacola watching it on Monday, a week ago this morning. So they get a little extra time to prepare, rest up. We talked about Greg Williams nursing that turf toe injury. And Marlon said that his team was already preparing for this earlier in the week. Yeah, I think the coach, assistant coaches have already left, and I'm head of the Cajun Dome right after this. We've worked for uh, since Tuesday, really Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, we uh, divided up eight or ten teams. 
So Tennessee was definitely one of the teams. So we, we, we thought it could be Xavier. We thought, thought it could be Virginia, Duke. We've watched all these teams play multiple times. So we'll have a head start on our practice for tomorrow. The uh, just to be uh, completely transparent, the child in the background was not commenting on Bob Marlin's comments. It was just an upset child. It was it, the, the child was upset that the Raging Cajun celebration had come to an end inside walk-ons. I thought that child wanted to go to Albany. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes. Oh man, look, Bob Marlin says this team's locked in. What about the guys themselves? And it helps greatly. Dawson and I talked about it. This is a veteran team, and they have guys with NCAA tournament experience on the roster. Jordan Brown, Terrence Lewis II, and Brown talked about, look, winning the Sun Belt title was fun, but they have more work to do right now. Uh, I feel like it was good, you know, being able to uh, kind of live in the moment and uh, uh, be happy about the championship. But now we got to move on, you know. It's kind of like a week of, like we're happy about it, but it's a week of preparation too. Uh, letting our bodies rest and recover. I love that mindset. I love it. It comes from experience. It comes from being veterans where it's like, hey, look, it was great that we won the tournament, but, but we have work. Like to have that because the younger guys that haven't been there feed off of that. And when they see Jordan Brown and Terrence Lewis the second conduct themselves in a certain way, they go, hey, okay, we got to follow their lead. And Terrence echoed Jordan's sentiment about it's time to get to work as well. I think this is a, a great opportunity. You know, uh, we've worked this whole entire year to get to this point, and uh, the work is not done. We just have got to get ready uh, for Tennessee. They're really a great team. You know, but we're just going to start tomorrow and practice and uh, just get after it. They're even keeled. They're talking to both of them the entire season. Look, they, they've done a nice job of bringing in other guys like Terrence, like Themis folks as well. Themis and, say, like Greg Williams, they may not have NCAA tournament experience, but they're vets. And they have experience from other schools and playing in other arenas and playing in other parts of the country. That can only help. And I asked Terrence, you know, what's the best advice you can give the younger guys, the guys that have never been to the the big dance, about the tournament and about preparing for it. I really, just think that uh, just telling them that anything is possible. You know, over the years that there are a lot of upsets from like the 13 seeds and uh, beat the four seeds or the 12 seed, beat the five seeds. You know, it's just a new ball game. Everybody is zero zero. Like everything that happened in like the past from the old tournaments or in the beginning of the year is just a new ball game, and anything is uh, capable of happening. And anything is capable of happening, and. Not only do they have themselves, they're going to be a trendy pick for an upset because of Tennessee's history under Barnes and Barnes' history altogether, plus it's a 4-13 matchup, which has become a trendy upset pick in recent years. It's not necessarily the 5-12 Dawson, but it's, it's one of those that gets picked now, far more than it used to. That's going to be part of it. But also you have the storylines of, Jordan playing an NCAA tournament game against the same program that his father did all those years ago at UL as well. And there's history here. The Raging Cajuns faced off against Tennessee two times prior in the NCAA tournament and then faced off with them in the NCAA tournament one year and then faced them in the NIT the next. A couple of those games came down to some controversial endings. 
So there's there's a good amount of history here with Tennessee and Louisiana. It's awesome. I, I, it's just how could you not be excited? I'm not look. I'm not a Raging Cajun alum. I'm not a Raging Cajun fan, but I'm excited about Thursday night's game. It, it, there's a lot going on. It's exciting. Well, I am, and I am also excited. Um, I will be giving some stats and you know little nuggets to kind of help you out in your preparation all week long. Oh. First one I got for you. Here we go. 12 of the previous 16 matchups between number 4 and 13 seeds, so the last four NCAA tournaments, 12 of the 16 have been decided by single digits, including all four matchups last year in last year's tournament. So recent history will tell you this game's going to be close one way or the other, which would, uh, I think the Cajuns, you know, if you have to put it on the map and say uh, the game's going to be decided by single digits, you go, okay, that's pretty good. That's what we'd like to see. You don't like the Cajuns' chances of blowing Tennessee out, so... Recent history on their side, at least, to keep this game competitive. There we go. There we go. We got to take a timeout. But before we do, how about the poll question of the day? How many NCAA brackets are you going to be filling out? That's right. Some of you are absolutely maniacs about this. (laughs) Others are a little bit more conservative. How many brackets will you be filling out? Just one? Are you like old school, just one? Be like, no, I don't have all those brackets, RP3. I got one bracket. One bracket to rule them all. Do you maybe do two to three? Four or more? Or none? That's our poll question of the day. How many brackets will you be filling out? Right now, 51% of you say none. 29% of you say two to three brackets. 10% say just one. 10% say four plus. John Paul, Cajun Daddy says, I forgot with real left getting in the way. Also, did you know South Alabama's baseball stadium holds more fans than USC and UCLA combined? JPK, the OD says, it's like buying lotto tickets, but you can't win if you don't play. But if you fill out more than one or two, you have a problem. Slowly back away from the keyboard and call the 1-800 number for help. (laughs) Keep those votes coming on our poll question of the day. Leave your comments on Facebook and Twitter. Just make sure you keep it clean for the kids. When we return here on RP3 and Company, oh, we're going to keep the madness talk going right along as the LSU women earn the number three seed in the Greenfield Regional 2. I know. I'll explain that confusion. That'll be next right here on The Game. This is RP3 and Company on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. This is RP3 and Company. Live from the Evco Development Studios in Upper Lafayette on The Game. 1037 Lafayette. 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Then I go to the second part in conference. Last year's conference record and this year's conference record. Did we improve? Absolutely, we did. Then you go to the conference tournament. We didn't win a game, but we won one this year. Did we improve? You bet we did. Now, can we improve during the postseason? We won one game here. Can we win two? And if we win two, we get to go to 
Sweet 16, and we get to go back to Greenville. Uh, Greenville is doable for our fans. Seattle's a long way. I don't think there's anything above that but Canada. And so being in that region for our fans um, is exciting. I think the other two that will be here, Michigan, UNLV, I know a lot about Michigan. Uh, I think the world of Kim, their coach, I've played her in the playoffs many times. Um, don't know much at all about UNLV. We'll have to study. I know what I've read about how good she has done since she's been there and uh, what I know was from the game watching Hawaii yesterday. LSU second-year head coach Kim Mulkey, the legend, the Naismith Basketball Hall of Famer, about how much better her team's gotten in year two as compared to year one. And look, it was one of the greatest turnarounds we've ever seen in year one for a program. But they didn't win a game at the SEC tournament, and then they got upset in the second round at home in the PMAC in the NCAA tournament. Far better this year. Top five ranking for most of the season. Set the record for most wins to start a year in the longest winning streak. Angel Reese comes in and breaks Sylvia Fowles' double-double record. They got a great chance. Number three seed in the Greenville number two regional will face off against the 14th seed Hawaii Friday inside the Pete Maravich Assembly Center. But listening to Kim talk yesterday, didn't you feel like she's kind of having everyone pump the brakes on the expectations of them making a trip to the Final Four? The realistic expectation for them is to do better. They did better during the regular season. They did better in conference play. They did better at the conference tournament. So to get to the Sweet 16 is a step in the right direction. That is an improvement over year one. But it's hard to get the fans to buy into that, right? I mean, after what you showed them last year and what you showed them this year, to, to have them be like, well, uh, just get into the Sweet 16 is going to be good. I, you can't do that now. I mean, I hate to tell Kim that. You can't do that now. The fan base thinks you're going to go to the Final Four, and that's what fans do. Yeah, I... I, I... I, I think that's a telling comment, to be honest with you. I think you have to – obviously, you always have to kind of parse through what a, what a coach says and, and whether it's coach speak or kind of them being real. Um, a comment like that where you're talking about expectations and you're not going out there and saying, yeah, our goal is to cut down the nets and, you know, at the Final Four, I think there's two things. One, maybe she knows her team is built a certain way and they're not going to deal with the extra pressure well, so she's just trying to kind of put it on that perspective or they got some stiff competition when they get to the sweet 16 in the lead eight too yeah and then the other thing I would say is that that might be a coach kind of telling you what to expect I think she probably thinks if we get to the sweet 16 that's where we want to be and then from there whatever happens happens but I don't feel great about our chances I think that 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 could be an instance of that because again it, it and it depends and like we said this this year in totality I, but the thing is too I don't think coach Mulkey's ever said that this was a final four team right nope. like she's never come out at the beginning of the year and said, you know. Fans and media have started thinking that this was a Final Four team. And when you win 25 out of your first 26 or, you know, whatever it was at the beginning, like, I understand that the the fans are going to. Like, what are you going to say? Yeah, we're we're 25-1, and one, but we're not very good. Like, everyone's going to want to feel that way. But I, I do think, A, it's she's kind of protecting her team in a way. 
so that there isn't a ton of scrutiny if they do lose and when they do lose. Um, and then the second thing is, again, maybe she maybe she doesn't think they're quite as far along as some other fans do, or maybe she's just trying to kind of soften any type of pressure that they might already be feeling. Could be. I think you could be right on all those. And look, their regional is not easy. The Utah is the two seed who they would have to face if the higher seeds win. They would have to face them in the Sweet 16. And then above them, Villanova's the four, but Indiana is the one. Now, it's not like as if they have to play South Carolina. They get to avoid all that. But it's tough. And it's not to say that they can't win those games either. And I don't think Kim is saying that either. It's just she was trying to give, I guess, a little bit more perspective. And she elaborated on that. You know, she's happy. They're happy. uh, But it's really all about perspective for the team. Happy. This is the most exciting time of a a college program's um, year. Um, And I never want it to become old. I never want to lose that excitement. If I do, I need to retire. I've got a, a guy on my staff that he, he doesn't even know what to do with himself. Coach G is just beside himself. Uh, this is new to him. Um, you know, perspective. I've watched more conference tournaments than ever in my entire coaching career. Why? I couldn't figure it out, but I did. I don't have children to raise where I had to go to their ball games and do things and couldn't sit and relax. I don't have my grandchildren here. Ironically, I watched Hawaii come back and beat Santa Barbara on a slip the screen at the end of the ball game yesterday. And anyway, this is it. This is this is the last part of your season. Um, I look back and reflect on last year in non-conference to this year's non-conference did we improve absolutely we did i like how she she actually like just slipped in what type of play hawaii ran late like that that's just she's a taskmaster right so she's already going to know what the warriors no longer rainbow warriors right they used to be the rainbow warriors now hawaii is just the warriors what they're going to be bringing to the table to the PMAC on Friday. And Moki admitted that, you know, she watched so much over the weekend. And the very last game that she watched was, in fact, her opponent on Friday night, Hawaii. I was impressed. In fact, I'll tell you what I did. I knew the reason I stopped and even watched, I was channel flipping channels. And I watched a lot of conference championships because I don't have children or grandchildren here. I'm bored. And I stopped on that particular game because Bonnie Hendrickson is the head coach at Santa Barbara. And she was a great coach in the Big 12 at Kansas for many, many years. So I stopped and I watched because of her. And then it was, she was in the lead and Hawaii made comeback. And so I I, I wanted to see who that Hawaii coach was. Beeman is her last name. And so I looked her up on my phone and I thought she just ran a very good play right there. 
to win the game. And uh, the kid caught it and was fouled and got an and one. And um, it's just funny that that's the last game I saw yesterday. Kim's a treasure. I don't got grandkids. I'm bored, so I decided to watch conference tournament. <laughs> it's just, she is something else, man. Now, some of you are slightly confused by the women's tournament format, so we'll clear that up quickly right here. First two rounds are going to be held uh, primarily at some of the, if you're a top 16 seed, you get to host your first and second round games, and you essentially serve as like the first and second round host is how that works. Then, unlike last year where you had four different regional sites, it'd be interesting to know why they do this. I think it's a cost-saving measure, if I'm being honest. There's only two regional sites. They're going to play the regionals in Seattle and Greenville. That's where they're going to play them. So we have Seattle Regional 1, Seattle Regional 2, Greenville Regional 1, Greenville Regional 2. It's going to get confusing. I'm trying to let you know now. That naming. We could have done something else, right? <laughs> I just... We couldn't have gone old school legends and leaders, Big Ten division names at least, the Seattle legends bracket. I mean, give me something other than one and two. Actually, actually, I stand corrected. It's Greenville 1, Greenville 2, Seattle 3, Seattle 4. That might be worse. <laughs> So the Sweet 16 and Elite 8 games will be played March 24th through the 27th in Greenville, South Carolina, and Seattle. And, of course, the Final Four will be held at the American Airlines Center in Dallas, home of the Mavericks and the Stars, on March 31st for the national semifinals and then April 2nd for the championship game. So there you go. LSU, hopefully going to put together a long run that at least gets them to the Sweet 16. we got to take a timeout. Speaking of LSU, some news over the weekend officially broke about the Meanies Cowboys and a certain former LSU coach. We'll get to that next right here on The Game. This is RP3 and Company on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Go subscribe to The Game's YouTube channel at The Game Louisiana. That way you can check out the latest original videos and more shenanigans from The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. The McNeese Cowboys made it official. They have their man to lead the men's basketball program, and it's a familiar name for college basketball fans here in the state of Louisiana. Will Wade. They made it official. The former LSU head coach that helped lead the Tigers to a great level of success, but also had his tenure there marred with suspensions and then violations and then fired, will be taking over. It's a splash hire for Heath Schroyer. Make no bones about it. It gets eyeballs on the program. You bring in a big name. You bring in someone that you hope can help turn things around. You know he can recruit. Can he win? Well, it seems to happen pretty quickly for a lot of teams in the Southland Conference. And look, this is going to be a good deal for Will Wade. You get to rehab your image a little bit. 
and then you can turn around and maybe get you a, a better, bigger job in a few years. The Northwestern State coach, after one year, he went and talk, uh, took a, a job that paid more and a better job at Austin P, his alma mater. The Texas A&M Corpus Christi coach is believed to be one of the leading candidates to take the Texas Tech job. So you can use your time in the Southland Conference and pro- propel that into a better and bigger job. I understand why it happens. I know a lot of folks aren't going to be thrilled about it because of the baggage that Will Wade brings with him into the program. You know, five seasons at LSU, fans of four postseason tournaments, reached the Sweet 16 in 2019, but here's the deal. 2019, he didn't even coach that team because he was suspended by LSU. The assistant coach coached him to the Sweet 16, not Will Wade. And then seven level one violations, allegations of violations by the NCAA. That's what got him fired. So a big splash higher, but definitely one that's a tad controversial. Hour number one in the books. Hour number two coming up right here on the game. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is producer Dawson Iserlow and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. Uh, the brackets for the NCAA men's and women's tournaments are set. Of course, we got a few teams that we care about that made the field. The Louisiana Raging Cajuns, the men's basketball team, Bob Marlin's bunch. Well, they got the 14, the 13 seed, rather. They're going to be taking on the four seed Tennessee. That's one of those 4-13 matchups. Now, Bob Marlin's team, you feel like has a good chance, a good shot, if you will. They're a veteran team. They got a couple of guys on the roster that have played in the NCAA tournament, including Jordan Brown and Terrence Lewis II, two of their best players. And Rick Barnes' teams in the NCAA tournament are notorious for having huge letdowns, being upset, whether he's at Tennessee or at Texas. Winner of that game gets Duke. Right? Whoa, 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 whoa. Did we just fully skip over a team that won over 30 games in the regular season and Oral Roberts, who's made a Sweet 16 run like just a couple of years ago? My apologies. Come on now. Kevin O'Banner was on that team, that Oral Roberts team that made some noise. He then transferred to Texas Tech, you'll of course remember. They, of course, underachieved this year, but his old team, Oral Roberts, is right back in the big dance and a dangerous 12 seed at that. We can't just skip over things like that. And that was that was so sudden. You, you act like they had the first round bye or something. I mean, I was getting excited for the Cajuns. I was I was I was getting excited for the Cajuns to take down Tennessee and Duke. Well, yeah. How yeah. about that? I'll I'd be just as excited resume. to beat Oral Roberts as I would to beat Duke, I'll tell you that. You're ju- you're just going to be excited if the Cajuns can win an NCAA tournament game. I'm going to be excited. Period. I, listen, here, you know the good thing about, and, and my fandom, this doesn't happen often, like I've had a lot of stressful years of Cajun support because like 
I felt so much pressure when Napier was here to win now because it was like, especially the, the last year, you thought it was the last year, and then they actually ran it back. So then it was like, well, this is really the all-in year. So every game I was living and dying on the edge of my seat because <laughs> because I knew if they lost, that was it. I don't know when they're going to be back to this moment again. You know what I mean? Like, yes. That's really... Now, there's been a couple of times in recent memory, and, and, and it was like this for Bob Marlin's basketball teams for a lot of years. Like I felt like, especially my freshman year, now I didn't really, that was my first big year of supporting the program, so I didn't know we weren't going to be back there, but we weren't. Uh, but regionals last year for baseball, uh, that was, a, you know, wasn't necessarily expecting regionals, so once they that got was, there. That, that was totally unexpected. Yeah. They, they went on a great run in the conference tournament to punch their ticket. So I felt during, now, once the game starts, we'll see if I actually, you know, feel that way but going in that tournament I said okay whatever happens happens they end up winning the first game of the regional and you know it was the losses were tough but I was okay with it this NCAA tournament is the same way for me I, they've already accomplished everything I wanted them to accomplish this season which was winning the conference tournament and getting there so this is Lanyap and that now again when the game starts and I'm jumping and screaming and throwing things then we'll we'll talk about whether are you going to be bold enough D'Lo okay in your bracket to pick the 12-5 upset and the 13-4 upset in the same regional? I've done it before. Uh, I don't know about this. Now, listen, I, I will say this. So I, I wanted to have a conversation. We can kind of get away from my fandom here for a minute because I wanted to have the conversation with you about the brackets. Because, first of all, I'm a little disappointed. I know it's I know it's early for me to be disappointed in the listeners because it's 7 7 on Monday morning. <laughs> I'm a little disappointed in the turnout and the poll results so far. Um, because okay. I don't know why everyone hates All right. fun. All right, we can we, we can pivot. We can pivot to yeah. this. Okay, yeah. sorry. My, my apologies. You, you're gonna you, get you got something to get off your chest. Let's address it live on the air. No better time than now. Right. All right, poll question of the day is how many brackets will you be filling out? 44% of you say none. So I thought the conversation surrounding this poll question was going to be the difference between filling out one and filling out more than one. But I come to find out, apparently, most of you don't even care at all. So, we'll, well, based on the crowds inside the Cajun Dome, that I'm not—I guess I'm not that surprised. There was some nice crowds. Come on Ooh. now, the Marshall game was electric. There but was I, some. There was some. There, there was some decent crowds. I'll so say what that. Are we, what do we don't like? We don't like fun. Like we don't just enjoy like enjoying ourselves and having a good time and filling out. Forty-four percent say none. Twenty-eight percent though say two to three. So I'll so eighteen percent say just one and ten percent say plus four. So if 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 you go total here, D'Lo, uh, let, let let me be glass half full here. Yeah, I, I see what you're saying here. <clears throat> okay, We're spreading out the the people who do. That's right. Fifty six percent of the people are going to be filling out a, at least That's one bracket. Still way too low. I thought I honestly no. And if you given me, I would have thought eighty percent of the people would have would have picked would have filled out at least one bracket. Anyway. This is more, you're going to find this out. We have diehards that love college basketball. And look, I love college basketball. I also love college baseball. But there's a lot of folks in this area, along the I-10 corridor in particular. Yeah, for sure. That prefer college baseball over college basketball. And I think that's what you're seeing here with some of the early results. Once again, we've only had the poll question up for a little bit, a little bit more than an hour. So... There's still time for these numbers to adjust, but yeah, I don't think it's that they hate fun. It's just they're obsessed with college baseball. So I, I get that, and, and we'll see. Kind of maybe maybe those numbers will maybe my push will kind of fluctuate those numbers back the other direction. Uh, but the one thing I wanted to address was the number of brackets being filled out. Right. So personally, I chose four plus because I will be filling out more than four brackets. I will probably be filling out. 
Now, listen, especially since the Cajuns are, are in the tournament, I'm going to be filling out probably the maximum I'm allowed on a lot of different, like, you know, apps and stuff. Uh, now, here's my situation there. I still do, and I feel it's very important to do so. I fill out, the first bracket I fill out is my bracket. It's the, the sheet of integrity to, to steal a term that's been used in the past. It is my legitimate bracket that I care, that I will say, if people ask, how's your bracket doing, that's the bracket I will answer about. Okay. And that will be the, the you know, my actual picks, what I think to happen in each matchup. I will go through, I'll have my upset picks, I'll have everything. I will not, breaking news, have the Cajuns winning the national championship in that bracket. In other brackets, absolutely, they'll be in there. <laughs> Now, after the first bracket, the bracket in which I care about the most, and, and the bracket that is my actual opinions on what will happen in the games if I were to, you know, to make my picks, that happens. After that, now this kind of, again, dates back to the high school, college days. My roommate mentioned to you we pick every conference tournament. Look, we had a lot of time on our hands as freshmen at UL. We did not have a whole lot going on. We, did not, we had some classes, and that was really all we had. So we had a lot of time, and we are sports fanatics. So... We filled out a million brackets, and I will continue to do that, especially this year now that my job is back in the sports world and I you know, am allowed to care about it more so than the average person and have a little bit more time to focus on it. I'll be filling out a ton of brackets, but again, I do think it's important, and I am. the Now, what, one thing that's, that's kind of – and my buddy – I know I'm going all over the place here. Just stay with me. Try to. Uh, my roommate, who I mentioned – we do the conference tournaments. Now, he doesn't ever pick his actual bracket. He just fills out 30. And then the problem there is you get a couple of huge upsets going, and he's like, oh, yeah, I had that, I had that. And I'm like, when well, which one? That doesn't matter. So you pick that in one out of your 72 brackets. That doesn't mean you picked it correctly. And then it's like his bracket that's doing the best becomes the bracket he's going with. And I'm like, okay, well, that's not really – I'll admit that my, my actual bracket is terrible. Now, I have another bracket that by chance is doing pretty well right now, but – Anyway, that's my uh, swan song on brackets. <laughs> there, there we go. There we go. Todd on Twitter says, I don't generally do brackets, all, although I made a perfect bracket last year. Every team was wrong. Uh, <laughs> B-Rad says, I used to fill out five, but I kept ending up with two brackets that were identical, so I stick to just three now. See, so there you go. Keep those votes coming on the poll question of the day. How many brackets are you going to be filling out? As for the men's bracket. Good luck, Purdue. Like when I was watching these get unveiled, the Boilermakers always let you down in the NCAA tournament. Have for decades. I remember filling out brackets back in the day when Gene Cady was the coach, and you'd be like, "This is going to be Purdue's year," and then it wasn't. They're the one seed, right? And. They, they have are, to play the winner of Memphis and Florida Atlantic. Producer note, real quick, can we do it just for because we got a long week of brackets? Just want to throw it out there. You keep saying the one seed, just a one seed, right? Because we don't want it. They're not. They're the, the one seed in their regional, right? But they're not the number one overall seed in the tournament. That's the only reason I said it. I'm sorry. That's the only reason I said it. I this just don't guy, want to be confusing the this listeners. guy. This guy. You want me to turn the people against you with more of these poll questions? Oh, Is that no, what you I, want to listen, do? I know the people are already far against me in, in all aspects of everything, really, for the most part. Yes, but, Purdue was one of the four or one number one seeds. Yeah, and the number one overall seed in the tournament, which was a bit of a surprise to me, I guess. But Oh, know. the villain of the tournament? Yes, Alabama. Right, right. Yeah. Anyway. Can I, can I go on now? Thank you. Yes. Thank you. I appreciate it. Producer's you. note concluded. Thank you. They have to play the winner of Memphis, Florida Atlantic, which is going to be a tough game. 
They have Duke, Tennessee, of course the Raging Cajuns, Kentucky, Kansas State. I know Michigan State is down, and they have Marquette. That's all in their region. <laughs> like That's going to be brutal for Purdue. If they find a way to get out of that, they earn the right to get to the Final Four. Of all the big C, of all the one seeds, they have, I believe, the toughest path. Yeah, no, it's tough. Now, the funny thing is Purdue's been upset so often, but like you always kind of like to rely on the teams with, with big men. The teams that don't rely on guard scoring are sometimes the teams that you feel are going to be more consistent in the tournament, but that doesn't always play out like that. That doesn't always play out for Purdue in particular. And I will say, and I, I know we're going to probably get to it later in the week, I'll have another rant for you ready to go, so just be ready, but Florida Atlantic and Memphis playing each other in the first round in an 8 matchup is one of my big gripes. The, especially the mid-major programs, which the American Conference is borderline being a mid-major in basketball. Um, but anyway, over the years, they've been slowly phasing out mid-majors. And one thing that they love to do in recent years is take two or three of the best mid-major programs that have had unbelievable seasons and match them up against each other so that one of them's out. And then they can just focus on their big boys like Kentucky trying to make a run, even though they'll get upset again. You look at the other side in the West... Kansas, you don't know about the Bill Self situation with his health, so you don't even know if he's going to be around. He's that, expected to be back. He's expected to be back, but he's an animated guy, so how much is that going to affect him? They get the winner of Arkansas, Illinois. St. Mary's is the five seed in that bracket. UConn's the four. TCU is a sneaky team. They're in that bracket as well. Gonzaga is the three. UCLA is a two. I mean, you got Kansas, Gonzaga, UCLA as the top three seeds in the West. That's a that's that's going to be tough. Hit the wrong mic there. I would argue that bracket over the Purdue one, honestly, especially at the top. At least with the the. I think Kansas is better suited to be able to deal with that type of adversity than Purdue is. Yeah, the defending champs certainly valid there, but I I would so I would just say like they have a better coach too. And that Gonzaga as a three seed. And I think here's the other thing. Gonzaga's been dealing for so many years with that pressure of kind of like finally bursting through and winning it all, and they haven't been able to do it. Now you you kind of take a little of the pressure off, right? They fly under the radar a little bit as a three seed. I wonder if that helps that group out. Drew Timmy's been there for 72 years. Gonzaga, UCLA in the Sweet 16. Well, and UCLA, of course, now down one of their best players. Now they still played great in the Pac-12 tournament, so they're interesting. But that is, uh, Gonzaga's that is a team I... I really want to see. Do they now that the pressure's a little bit off? Which again, it's not like they they're still consistently making runs deep into the tournament. They haven't been a team that's been upset early on very often, but they haven't been able to. And that's been the knock on Gonzaga. Oh, they can't get it done at the end. Now the pressure's off. They're not a one seed. Maybe that helps them out. I don't love Houston's draw either in the Midwest. They're the one seed. Now look, they should get past Iowa, Auburn. We thought Auburn wasn't going to get into the tournament, and they ended up getting into the tournament. Miami is sneaky as the five. Talk about injuries. The I know. Sunbelt standout, Norchad O'Meara is very much up in the air for that. I could see Texas winning that, that region as the two seed. They're playing great basketball. We, I think we're going to get a really good first-round matchup as well, 7-10. You talked about the mid-majors being paired together, Memphis versus Florida Atlantic. Uh, the 7-10 matchup between A&M and Penn State. I was surprised A&M was only a 7. I thought they'd been, based on how they played late, that they would be ranked higher. But that's going to be a tricky matchup for whoever. And then finally in the South, Alabama, 
doesn't even have to leave the state of Alabama for the first couple of rounds because they'll be in Birmingham. Virginia could pose them problems because of the solid defense they play. Watch out for San Diego State as well. That's going to be an interesting kind of matchup. Baylor as the three seed, maybe. Arizona, they always kind of maybe kind of struggle when it comes to the tournament. So that's going to be interesting as well. But I could very much see all four Final Four teams not being one seeds. I could, I could, I could easily see that. Yeah, and, and I think maybe it speaks to you're kind of going through and talking about how difficult each bracket is. I think that kind of just maybe speaks to the fact that it's more wide open this year. And I guess I hate we say wide open every year. It seems like something we say every year, but uh, this year more than most, I think. Now the interesting thing is Alabama's just playing better than everybody right now. They really are playing a level above. We even saw Houston, who had been so hot, losing the American Conference and Championship with off, game. So. All the off the court stuff, it seems, have it's brought some, them together. Yeah, which you, and you wouldn't expect that based I, on I how expected, severe. Mm-hmm. I expected it to be the opposite. How severe the situation was. It seemingly has brought them together. They will begin play. Alabama as the number one overall seed in the bracket. They're going to be playing the winner of Texas A&M Corpus Christi, the Southland Conference champ. They're taking on Southeast Missouri State in the first four. Texas Southern, by the way, shout out to Johnny Jones, who continues to take teams to the NCAA tournament. Didn't work out at LSU, just too big of a school for them. Perfect in the swag. Five or six games under 500. They did not even have a great year, but they got it done come they SWAC play, tournament time. And they, and they play a tough non-conference schedule. They usually lose. Most SWAC teams do, right? They, they usually lose the majority of their non-conference games, and then it's all about them making a conference run. Texas Southern takes on FDU. That'll be for the 16 uh, the in the East. Arizona State takes on Nevada. That's intriguing. That'll be out West. And then Mississippi State versus Pitt. That's going to be a good – got some good first four matchups as well, so – Ooh, it's bracket time. Keep those votes coming on our poll question of the day. How many brackets are you going to actually fill out? Be honest. We know you're filling them out. Don't pretend like you're not. Go vote and leave your comments on Facebook and Twitter as well. When we come back here on RP3 and Company, it'll be time for the weekend that was. We'll touch on all the other stuff that happened. There was plenty of it. That's next right here on The Game. This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Whether you're working or helping your wife shop for curtains, Serenity now! You'll be brought up to speed on the highlights you may have missed. Thank you, you've been heavy. Here is the weekend that was on RP3 and Company. Scotty Scheffler is, let's just be honest, he's that dude. He's that dude. Best golfer in the world right now. He's just been on an absolute tear the last 13 to 14 months. Won the Masters last year. Finished his runner-up at the Tour Championship. And he took down TPC Sawgrass Stadium course yesterday. Oh, really, all weekend. He had a rough go of it early. The putter was not with him early 
first four or five holes, he had some opportunities that slipped through his hands. What did work for Scotty is that everyone else that was in contention had themselves a day. Lee, who was paired up with him in the final pairing, he had that triple bogey on four. That pretty much took him out of contention for the rest of the day. He still ended up with a top 10 finish. Haddon, Davis, others had good days, but Scotty was just better. It was just better. And the wind started kicking up there in Florida. You had that storm system come through. You saw guys, one of the uh, golfers had an ace on Saturday on the famed 17 green, and then he hit it in the water the next day on Sunday because the wind changed literally in the middle of the tournament on the final day the wind gust all of a sudden went up to like 15 16 18 miles per hour and it changed how golfers were finishing their rounds but despite those bad conditions rolling in late Scheffler won the players championship by five shots shot a 369 on Sunday to win the richest prize on the PGA Tour as he conquered the players' stadium course. And really, let's be honest, he kind of made it look easy. He did. Won $4.5 million. Now he returns to being the number one ranked player in the world for the second time this year. Scotty now has six victories in his past 27 starts on the PGA Tour, including including the four wins he had last year, which also includes putting on the green jacket at Augusta winning the Masters and he capped off yesterday with a 20-foot par putt on the final hole largest margin of victory in the Players Championship since Stephen Ames won by six back in 2006 he's a bad man right now plain and simple yeah he's he's great and you know yesterday I, I got to watch a good bit of that final round and I love you know when a golf course really challenges the best in the world. I think some people, there's definitely two sides of this. I think, uh, now, again, Scotty Scheffler shot 17 under for the weekend, so it's not like he was having <laughs> too, too much trouble with the course. Yeah. But yesterday especially, yeah, the winds picked up once that weather you know, kind of hit through. You know, the guys who were in the top 10, it, it then became one of those situations where if you could have gotten out early and posted a big number like Tyrrell Hatton did, yes. you felt like maybe you had the better chance than somebody who was in the final pairing. It didn't end up mattering because of how good Scotty Scheffler was, but Hatton went all the way up to second. And I don't I don't know how far back he started the day, I don't remember, but he was he was obviously down the leaderboard a good way. So that was fascinating. But I love, yeah, guys, I mean, it got to the end when that wind was really kicking there, you know, just hitting the green on 17, of course, the famed Island Green at the, at the stadium course at Sawgrass. Just hitting the green was a victory because we saw guys put balls in the water. We saw guys put their drops where they drop in a little drop zone. We saw them putting those shots in the water, making yep. six, seven, triple and quadruple bogeys on the on the 17th hole. And I just I love to see guys get challenged. I like to see guys hit balls the way I do when I'm on the golf course. And so like I love some of the U.S. Open where we've had like Shinnecock Hills in the past where they just let the rough grow out to like six feet tall, and then guys are you know even par is a good score for the day. Those are the golf courses I love the most. Now, they don't do that often on the tour. And, you know, even we talked about some of the holes at they they kind of did uh, some guys some favors where they left the rough a little longer on the edges to where some balls that usually would roll the in the ball, water didn't. The, the ball stayed and you didn't roll down. Yes. Yeah, but so I thought it was, I mean, look, the players is one of the better, you know, it's it's the unofficial fifth, fifth major. major. And mm-hmm. um, I think it's a great tournament. But um, 
just moving forward, that's something I love to see, and I'm hoping the U.S. Open, you know, will happen this year. We'll see kind of what condition they choose to play the course in, but I just, I like seeing guys really, really battling to make par, and, you know, every once in a while, that was kind of the knock on the Zurich Classic in New Orleans for a while. Guys were shooting 25 under for four rounds, so they kind of ended up switching things up there with the team event. Scotty had himself a weekend. You know who else had themselves quite the weekend? Raging Cajun softball team. This is what needed to happen. They go down to the bubbly invitational down in Florida. They take four of five of their contests. They take both games from Rutgers. And they take one game from number 12 ranked Florida. And this is what I wanted to see from this team. Now, I didn't love the fact that they had to reschedule the doubleheader Dawson. And they got housed 11-2 to by Florida. That's going to leave a bad taste in their mouth, right? That was the second game of the doubleheader yesterday. But they pitched well for the most part. 3 nothing shutout win of Rutgers to start off the weekend. A one nothing masterful shutout of Florida as well. 5 nothing shutout of Rutgers. Then 3-2. to two, And then, you know, they got roughed up there at the end. But... This is what I wanted to see from Jerry Glasgow's team. I wanted to see the pitching rise up, and they did on the road for a a big tournament. They're going to open up conference play this weekend on the road at Southern Miss. Jerry Glasgow's team does, and I feel a lot better about their pitching staff now after a strong weekend on the road in Florida. Yeah, and... Look, I, I and I tweeted this out after they beat Florida the first time. I said, you know, you did what you had, to, what you came to do in Gainesville, and anything else would be lanyap, you know. And I like using that word; it's a nice, fun uh, Louisiana word. But I felt like they did what they had to do in the first matchup. And again, one thing we've talked about, and, and Coach Glasgow, you know, I thought it was interesting. If anyone heard him on on um, Foot Show last week, Foot kind of asked him, you know, you've played this grind of a schedule, and you know, you've played all these top teams and, and all these things. And you've been on all these road trips. You've been, you know, over and over on the road. Are you worried? And he said, No, I'm, 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 I'm very worried about the team's mental health and, and you know, the grind of this traveling. And he said, I'm, we're doing everything we can to make sure that they're, you know, in the best state of mind and everything seems okay. But I'm very worried about it. And so, to go then and, and turn around and go to Gainesville again and play again, a, a good crop of teams. Rutgers is a is a team that's off to a really good start this season. It's not like they're a top ten, top fifteen team the way Florida is, but. Certainly not a bad team, and to go out and win five of six, including splitting with Florida, which we've talked about that before. Anytime you go on the road to a top 15 team and you're able to get a split, I mean, that's all you can ask for. Uh, So they once again get it done. I think the last game of that six, once again, the last game of a six-game weekend when you're on the road, I think we saw some fatigue set in and they got beat by Florida, but you can afford to have a game like that when you win your first five, including one against a top 15 team. So job well done to Coach Glasgow's team. Matt Deggs' squad was at home. They took on High Point University. They took two of three, winning the first game 8-6, to six, dropping the Saturday game 5-1, to one, and then gutting out a 6-5 win on Sunday to take the series. They'll play Jackson State on Tuesday and then Mississippi State in the Hancock-Whitney Classic down in Biloxi as they play in the home of the Shuckers on Wednesday before they open up conference play at home versus Arkansas State with the three-game series. You and I are a little different here. They get the series win. They beat me, Nice, in the midweek. They take two or three from high point. 
there's still time here, but the pitching has to be improved. They're averaging giving up five runs a game. They can rake, and that lineup is legit. And you got to love what you see from Matt Deggs' team. But they've given up 76 runs in 15 games. That's a ton. And they're, and they're doing it against the likes of McNeese and High Point. I know it's early. And they got plenty of time to figure this out as we saw them put together a run. You and I differ. You don't think it's that big of a deal. The pitching is still a little too shaky for me. They got to figure it out. They still have time. I know they begin conference play this weekend. And we saw what they were able to do at the conference tournament. But if they want to achieve their goal of getting back to a regional and winning a regional, they got to have better pitching. Because right now, it's not quite where it needs to be. It's not terrible, but it's not where it needs to be. Well, and you kind of went the opponent route, but I would certainly counter that and say they face Campbell, who might be a top five offense in the country for three games. So, um, yeah, it hasn't been. Now, maybe it's just a matter of expectations because I knew the pitching staff was going to be the weaker link coming into the season. That's and fair. I've actually been somewhat impressed with, with the guys that I've seen. Um, I think... Everything in non-conference play, keep it with a grain of salt because remember that this coaching staff is just trying to position themselves ready to get ready for conference play and some of the guys they're going to throw and some of the guys some of the guys that we've seen throw in some of these midweek games and some games are probably not going to log more than two or three innings in the entire stretch of conference play. So uh, I think the biggest thing is you've, you've found kind of a rotation here. Now, again, a big setback is Blake McGee, who looked pretty promising early on. He's, he's missed with forearm tightness, and we'll see. You expect him to get back in the mix at some point. Maybe Coach Deggs will give us an update this week. Um, but look, Jackson Neza, after a couple of awful starts, has kind of come around. Now, he's kind of shown you maybe he's, and, and personally, my opinion is maybe he's a little better out of the bullpen because that second, third time mm-hmm. through the lineup, he's really struggled. But he's been able to give you four or five solid innings the last few times out. Um, I think Jake Hammond has looked every bit of a Friday night guy that you want. Now, maybe, look, he's not a top-end Friday night guy. He's not a guy that, you know, the scouts are going to be in town to be intently watching. You're going to have a packed behind home plate with radar guns on him. But uh, he's really talented, and he's shown you he can be a Friday night guy. And then I think when with Brendan Moody, he's shown you he can be a reliable starter. So I think you have the the midst of a starting rotation. I think you have a back-end guy in Blake Marshall. He's not going to be perfect every outing, but I think he's been mostly great this season. And then there's a couple other pieces that are still working their way in the back end of the bullpen. But I think you, five runs a game, yeah, I think you'd like to get that down around four and a half maybe, but that you can win giving up five runs a game with this offense. You can score six runs a game in conference play. Especially, look, the Sunbelt Conference has been, generally been an offensive conference, more so than a pitching conference. So I, I'm a little concerned, but nowhere near as concerned as you are. I've seen more things that are encouraging to me than discouraging. I'm actually a little more concerned about the lineup because they're not quite being as consistent as I thought they'd be. There you go. That's going to do it for the weekend that was. we got to take a timeout when we return. Jeff Plurimo joins us to talk all things LSU women's basketball, baseball team, and so much more. That's next right here on The Game. This is RP3 and Company on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. This is RP3 and Company. Live from the Evco Development Studios in Upper Lafayette on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. It's 
time to talk LSU athletics with the man who co-hosts Tiger Rag Radio and a man who probably fills out 12 different brackets every year for the NCAA tournament. Our good friend Jeff Palermo joins us now. Jeff, good morning to you, bud. How are you? I'm doing well, but that last statement you made is a lie. <laughs> so it's like 22? Is, is that what you're I don't, I, No, I, I don't do it. I, 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 you don't fill I don't, out a bracket? I, I, yeah, I, I'm weird, man. I am weird, and I just um, – I, I, I got to be honest with you. I just don't – Oh, this man! Th- 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 this man's going to tell us he I, doesn't I like so college much other basketball. Stuff to do, I don't. I just, I, I don't have time. <laughs> that's really the only thing that I can. That's the only excuse that I could give you. Uh, my new producer Dawson Eiserlo is shaking his head in disgust, and I yeah, think no, I, I feel I, like I understand. I feel I understand. like Jeff, he's going to have a conversation with me about you not returning to the program. It's something I certainly need to correct. There's no doubt about it. All right, bud, let's talk about the LSU women's basketball team. They get the three seed. They'll be at home for the first two rounds. They're going to take on Hawaii on Friday. But I was not necessarily surprised, but it definitely caught my attention, Kim Mulkey's comments to the media uh, yesterday after the brackets were released that she, you know, basically told folks, people thinking that we're going to the Final Four, that, you know, you got to get that out of their head. And she kind of laid out a very respectful, you know, thought process of, well, you know, we won more games in conference this year and uh, we won a tournament game this year. And, you know, if we get to the Sweet 16, that's a big deal. What do you make of Kim Mulkey kind of taking that stand? Well, I think people do lose sight of where this program was when she took it over. It was it was dying on a vine, right? I mean, there was, there was absolutely no interest in it. Um, and she all she comes in and obviously gives it instant credibility. She takes over a team that, uh, was, you couldn't even, I, I mean, they were, they were like a, a, a slightly below mediocre in the sec. And I think she recognizes considering that she, built a program basically from scratch at Baylor, just how long it really takes to get it where you're, you're at the level of, yeah, uh, we should be in the final four every year, you know, just kind of like what South Carolina is kind of what UConn is where Tennessee was back in the day. Uh, she recognizes that uh, they're, they're just not there yet. And I think it was just a reminder uh, that this team still has limitations, uh, that it, it, it's still – they're just not at that upper echelon level. Uh, it's a very good program, and I think they're pretty – I think obviously she's really excited where it's at, but uh, the best is yet to come. And, um, you know, I, I, you got I mean, she, she knows what she's doing. She's obviously made a huge turnaround here uh, in two years, but it's it's – it's just very difficult to to take a program that again was, you know, just basically had a a faint heartbeat, and then all of a sudden make it a a national powerhouse. They they still have some more work to do. So, um, you know, I think she's trying to limit the or I guess put a ceiling a little bit on the expectations. Um, I think she recognizes that this team played a pretty 
soft schedule in the non-conference, and they don't—they're—they're uh, they're just still uh, another level below the the really good teams in women's basketball. What do you make of their draw and their bracket, Jeff? Well, um, you know, Hawaii. I mean, last year they struggled against Jackson State. I mean, if you remember, they barely yes. beat Jackson State. So I can't sit here and tell you too much about a Hawaii women's basketball. I think uh, it would be a big disappointment if they do not get to the Sweet 16 this year. If, uh, say, Michigan, another Big Ten team, bounces them in the second round. I look ahead and I see Tennessee is the top seed in the regional. Or not Tennessee, excuse me, Indiana. Um, and so I really feel like I, I don't I don't think they can get past a team like Indiana and and win and get to the Final Four. So I think they needed to avoid um, you know at least they avoided UConn as a two seed in their bracket. Um, so that's I think a good thing. But you know maybe Sweet Sixteen, maybe Elite Eight is really kind of the the ceiling uh, for this team. That's maybe what you should be what you should expect um hopefully though again this team does not uh suffer that second round loss um at least this time around they go in healthy uh, alexis morris was injured uh, at this time last year and that really made a, an impact um the time off here should should benefit lsu and uh I just think, um, even though it's it, it's really a whole new team, it's, so it's kind of hard to say that um, you know they, how much they can really draw from last year's experience. That, that that's kind of hard to say, but um, I, I think they can. I think the program understands they you know, getting into the Sweet Sixteen certainly should be the goal here. Jeff, the baseball team. I guess played games because they were all mercy yeah. ruled. They're the number one team in the country. Samford is is no competition. It was thirty six to two combined in the three games. They were all three mercy ruled. We haven't seen this this team really be pushed all that much this season. Non conference schedule isn't really going to do that. But we're going to find out a little bit more about them as they open up SEC play this coming weekend against Texas A&M and then the next weekend at home versus Arkansas, right? Yeah, yeah. I This this schedule was – it really was, considering the, how good they were. Uh, I mean, it, it was not – it's not a very good non-conference schedule. And and hopefully Jay Johnson looks to beef it up in the, in the future. Um, I mean – Going and playing at Round Rock, that was a good thing. I think you could probably expect them to do something similar to that in years to come, whether they go to Houston, whether they go to the Frisco Classic, or if there's any of these other, if there's any other kind of, um, you know, round robin type of, you know, where they play three different teams in three days over the course of a weekend. If there's any other of those tournaments, I think uh, LSU should certainly get in there. But they got to figure out a way to get. Uh, someone in here on a weekend uh, in a non-conference that's uh, uh, you know a, a real a good program and um, based on the talent that LSU has and they'll probably continue to have uh, you know here for the near future they they're going to have to toughen it up because this I don't really know what you learn from any of this um, but you know LSU's been dominant. Um, 
maybe it's a sign of you. You would hope that it's a sign of things to come in SEC play that this this team just continues to roll. Um, but you you can't even though they've played a really weak schedule here, you you can't deny the fact that they're a very talented team. Uh, they got a lot of different hitters that can hurt you. Uh, solid pitching. Thatcher Hurd was really good. I guess we would have a story here if if LSU was barely getting by in, in winning these games. But they're blowing these teams out. They're doing what they're supposed to do. Now let's see when they really face some serious competition and they're involved in some close games. I mean, we still really don't know how this bullpen will kind of react to a game where, you know, they're winning five to three in the seventh. I mean, every time they go to the bullpen, uh, the, the game is in, is no longer in doubt. Uh, I mean, those guys come in there with very little pressure. Uh, so the pressure is going to be ratcheted up and kind of interested to see how it looks. I'm interested to see how Paul Skeens looks. Uh, you know, he's, he's easily handled the, the teams that he is, he has faced, but um, now it's, it's going to be a little tougher. It's going to be teams that are going to have a little bit more of a scouting report on these pitchers. And uh, it's, it's going to be a lot more fun and a lot more interesting than what you're kind of, what we've seen here so far through the first month of the season. Jeff, appreciate your time as always, brother. Thank you for it. Enjoy your week, my friend. All right. Sounds good. Thank you. This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. RP3 grew up dreaming of one day playing right field for the Atlanta Braves, just like his hero, Dale Murphy. I wanted to grow up and be Dale Murphy. Little Raymond, though isn't quite the caliber of athlete of his childhood hero as his lone highlights as a ball player were being beat twice in the head. That actually explains a lot. Back to more RP3 and company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Poll question of the day. How many brackets will you be filling out? Right now, 40% of you say none. But 26% say two to three. 23% of you say just one. 11% say plus four. Darren on Twitter says eight plus. My man says he's going to fill out eight plus brackets. A few with upsets, a few with fandom, and a few with my head, and a few with chalk. Darren coming in with eight plus brackets. Let's head out to the hotline. Who do we got? Good morning. Hey, it's Randall. What's up, bud? I literally got like 40 seconds, but it's yours. Okay, real quick. I called in after BYU for the men's baseball. Thought they'd go 40 games. I'm recanting because I was at the Campbell game. I was at yesterday's game. The pitching is uninspired, and they need some work. And they're leaving too many men on base. So, man, I I hope they can figure out that pitching because – the battings are bad. They're batting well. But, man, if it wasn't for that line drive catch from shortstop yesterday, we could have been, uh, they could have been down 2-1. to one. It's a fair point by you, brother. Appreciate the phone call. Enjoy your day, man. You have a nice day. Shout out to Reynolds. Look, 
I'm not saying they can't figure it out. Dalton and I had this discussion earlier. But the pitching isn't where it needs to be. They still got time to figure it out, but they got to figure it out. If not, they're going to they're gonna have troubles when it comes to the conference tournament. Got to take a time out. Hour number two in the books. Hour number three. We'll kick it off with Kevin Price of the PGA Tour.com. Talk the Players' Championship. That's next here on The Game. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Everything, everything, everything going to be all right this morning. Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is producer Dawson Iserlow and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. Eight oh three, which means we only got one more hour of RP3 and company left for you, but we're going to make it a good one. Coming up in about 20 minutes from right now, Jake DeLome, the Raging Cajun football legend, former Carolina Panthers quarterback and a man part of the Panthers radio team, will join us to talk about the blockbuster trade that happened over the weekend as the Panthers, man, they traded a lot to get up to the number one overall pick from the Chicago Bears. We'll break that down with Jake. That'll be coming up in less than 20 minutes from right now. We've also touched on the NCAA tournaments for both the men and the women, the Raging Cajun men. They're headed off to Orlando. They'll be taking on Tennessee in a 4-13 matchup. In that regional, Bob Marlin's team's looking to pull off an upset. Some history there between the Cajuns and the Volunteers as they will now be facing off for the third time in the NCAA tournament. They also faced off once in the NIT. The LSU women, meanwhile, Kim Mulkey's bunch, they got the three seed. They're going to be hosting the first two round games. They'll take on Hawaii Friday night there inside the PMAC as they try to make it to the Sweet 16 and beyond. And of course, we touched on Will Wade. It's official. He's going to be the new head men's basketball coach for the McNeese Cowboys, the former LSU coach who was fired by the university a year ago for multiple allegations from the NCAA. Controversial hire, but a blockbuster one, no doubt. Don't forget to vote on our poll question of the day. How many brackets are you going to be filling out this year? Is it going to be just one? Is it going to be two to three? Is it going to be four plus? Or is it going to be none? Go vote on our poll question of the day and leave your thoughts on Facebook and Twitter. Just make sure you keep it clean for the kids. But right now it's time for us to talk a little golf. Scotty Scheffler, he is a bad, bad man right now as he easily won the Players' Championship yesterday, golf's unofficial fifth major, and he reclaims the top spot in the world golf rankings, and rightfully so. Is there anyone better right now in the world than Scotty Scheffler? Who, by the way, just a reminder, we've said it before on the show, the man on his bag, he's from right down the road in Opelousas. To talk about the Players' Championship and so much more is our old friend. He covers the tour for PGATour.com. Kevin Price joins us now. Kevin, good morning. It's been too long, brother. How are you? Good morning, RP3. Thanks so much for having me on. How's it going? Good to talk to you. It's good to talk to you too, my friend. All right, let's get right to it. 
Scotty Scheffler has played the best golf of anyone in the last 14 months. As someone who covers this tour for a living, it's your job, did you uh, anticipate or expect the breakthrough last year, year and a half from Scotty Scheffler? So it's kind of funny when you think about guys who come off the Corn Ferry Tour, like Scotty had a great year in 2019, won twice, won the season-long standings was player of the year, and you always got the sense. It's funny. There's a great quote, one of our stories from yesterday, that his friend from elementary school, Vince Whaley, was saying how when he was younger, it was like his short game was just unbelievable. And if his long game ever caught up to his short game, it was going to be scary. And you could see even on the Corn Ferry Tour, he'd you know hit some loose shots, he'd be out of position a little bit, but always just such an artist with, the golf ball and shaping shots and getting up and down from everywhere, as you see with all his chippings, just crazy amounts of chippings. I we got to look into the stats, but it's just getting up there. And he has this thing with Ted Scott where they count their chippings. But this past year and a half, his ball striking has just kind of ascended into that world class level. And his short game and putting and feel for the game and it, like instincts for the game has always just been so good. Back to when he was a kid. Back to when. He was a junior golfer back to when he was in college, and it all goes to when he was super young in New Jersey just wanting to play, you know, under headlights and flashlights and doing whatever he could, just loving it. And then in Texas against Harrison Frazier and Colt Nose and some other tour pros at his club, Royal Oaks. But to see it all come together, to go back to your question, as I usually do and talk in circles, it's you can't ever expect six wins in 392 days or along those lines, but... It makes sense. In a, in a weird way, it makes sense because it's, yeah, he's just such a artist of the game that when he, he just, he's not going to get phased by the moment. He loves it. Confidence builds when you get a win, then that barrier breaks and you get to the world number one and you win a major and it's kind of building and building where a five-shot win at the players with trouble lurking down the stretch and barely being in trouble, save for a tee shot on 14 that he had to kind of punch out other than that just flawless, easily hits the green on 17, takes it right at it. Like To be leading by five and hit to 10 feet there is just wild. But that's just a testament to his game and his understanding of his game. And It's wild to see, and it's wild to say I'm not surprised, but I can't say I'm that surprised. How much is his composure part of it as well? Because anyone that's watched him play sees it. He doesn't get rattled. I watched the Netflix series as well uh, binge that over the weekend it was a big golf weekend for your boy Kevin and he guy never loses his composure he never loses his cool I mean how much does that play in how well he plays the game I think back there was it's interesting because in his press conference earlier earlier this week he was asked about you know seeming like he doesn't get angry on the course and he talked about you know like he does feel that and he feels that anger but he keeps it inside and I think part of golf when you're able to find that trick of truly letting go before the next shot whether it's any level whether it's my level trying to break 90 I mean I see myself snowballing and you know could save a six and you make an eight or a nine and that destroys your own but for him to truly be able to kind of keep it inside and understand the emotion and then kind of let it go and I mean his natural demeanor is just so happy-go-lucky and always smiling and laughing. and You see that a lot, and that's real. Like, it's, it's genuinely who he is, but he is also a fiery competitor. 
I'll never forget. I'll never forget in Savannah on the Corn Ferry Tour four years ago, he lost by a shot to Dan McCarthy. He had a chance to get it up and down on 18. He missed the eight-footer. And I do my interviews after with guys who finish runner-up trying to get their card for the first time. Kind of, you know, cliches, but like what's it mean to take a step toward getting your PGA Tour card? And he just was not having it. He was fiery. He was he was pissed about not losing. And to, to blend that happy-go-lucky nature with just being a ruthless competitor, you know, on the inside and, and boiling to win while being able to let each shot go is just such a powerful thing. And, you know, no, no one has solved golf. You know, it's an impossible game to solve, but he's he's doing pretty well at putting that puzzle together. That That is for sure. You know, you look at him or John Rahm or Roy McIlroy, it feels like those are your your top three guys. And even guys like Spieth and Justin Thomas may be just a, a tad behind them. Is that fair to say that it's kind of Scheffler and it's McIlroy and it's Rahm right now at the top of the pecking order for the PGA Tour? I would say so. It's, it's funny because in the beauty about the PGA Tour, and, you know, I work for the Tour, so it's kind of – you know, on my pulpit. But I, I just love how everyone can win. Anyone in the field can win any given week. So that, both things can be true. Anyone can rise up and have a hot week, particularly on the greens, and avoid any loose shots, many loose shots, and win because you're not going to play perfect golf and guys can get hot. But then the top three, the guys that you truly expect, at least one of them to be in the mix every week, are Scheffler, Rahm, and McElroy, and they've earned that spot. Rory, it's insane how he's doing it with all the obligations he's taking on with you know sitting in the board meetings as they're restructuring the tour and everything last week it was a seven-hour meeting at bay hill and then he goes on and plays and almost wins and you know this week and i think he even mentioned it too it's kind of eventually you're just going to get a little worn out and need a break and that's probably where he was this week and rom had an illness but i mean you see rory goes on these magical stretches where it feels like he's invincible and Rom, it feels like he just, you know, works up into this intense Mavic mavenness where he's just unbeatable too. And then Scheffler does it kind of in a different way with his artistry and his kind of careful plotting and escaping majestically when he gets in a little bit of trouble and just chipping in. And it's so it's so cool to see the kind of difference, but also three players who. When they're up on the board, you know they're not going to back down. And for the guys in that chase pack yesterday, you know, between 10 and 12 under, if that's a different player at 16, 17 under, someone maybe who's a rookie or hasn't been on the stage before, it probably gives them a little bit of hope that they can back in it. But you could even tell when Tyrrell Hatton got 65 and finished and posted 12 under, he was deep down, he knew. He's like, Scotty is not. You never know for sure, but he knew Scotty is not coming back and that's kind of the level those three guys have like once they're up there they're gonna they're gonna stay there more more or less there's exceptions all the time but it's got Scheffler around the macro they definitely have ascended to that level through their body of work over the last 12 months or so Kevin the tour turns its attention obviously the Masters is coming up in a few weeks but the Valspar Championship is this weekend in Palm Harbor it's always a tournament that I love paying attention to because well the snake pit, right? <laughs> there on the Copperhead course, holes yep. 16, 17, and 18, they will chew you up and spit you out. Uh, what do you like about this tournament, and who do you uh, kind of like 
heading into it. So it's funny. This I, I love the snake pit too. I, I just love kind of quote, you know. And I, it's funny. I I do disagree with Rory. I'd say on one thing he said last week. You know, fans enjoy more when guys are making a lot of birdies. They, they don't. And I, I just I like seeing guys struggle. Like we we know these guys can make plenty of birdies. It's it's more about how they handle the carnage and the toughest holes is what's most intriguing to me as a pure golf fan. And the snake pit gives you that down the stretch. You can see some disaster, particularly on sixteen and then and then seventeen too. But it's it's wild to see. It's, and it's cool. It's a good field. I mean, it's the tour has been a unique spot with the designated events where. You know, we had Phoenix and Riviera, and then Honda had, you know, quote-unquote a weaker field, but still great storylines with Chris Kirk and Eric Cole battling it out, and then um, Bayhill and the players. So I, I think it's a great week for, and you got, a, you know, some big names playing. Justin Thomas is playing. Sam Burns is going for a three-peat, so it's it's hard to pick against Sam Burns, but I'll also, you know, with, with kind of my KFT Hat on. I'll throw you Akshay Batia as someone I think Ooh. will keep this train rolling and have another good week. He finished runner-up in Puerto Rico a couple weeks ago, and granted that was an alternate event opposite Bay Hill, but he had been playing well on the Corn Ferry Tour this year and got a sponsor invited into Puerto Rico with the Corn Ferry Tour being on a five-week break, and he is going to roll into Valspar. It's where he made his first PGA Tour start as a 17-year-old four years ago. He had this great fight about not really knowing what adversity meant. and he, He's gone through that adversity early in his pro career with struggling in his first few tour starts and balancing the hype as kind of a 17-year-old prodigy versus the reality of the game. And I think his game is coming around nicely and peaking, so I think he could be someone to contend. And But it would be irresponsible not to say Sam Burns is, you know, going for the three-peat as cliche conventional of a pick as it might be no but it's going to be it's going to be fun i'm actually headed up to tampa later today so we'll keep the road show going it's nice for me the players was a home game so it's unique it's a week on site but not traveling which is a eclectic one kevin appreciate your time as always brother keep up the tremendous work we'll talk to you heading into masters week my friend love it look forward to it thanks rp3 always a pleasure this is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Here on RP3 and Company, everyone is apparently part of the game family. Brother, 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 brother. Seriously, how many brothers does Ray have? Good morning to you, brother. Back to Ray and all of his brothers right here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. It was a very, very busy weekend in the world of sports. College baseball, softball, NCAA tournament brackets were released. The Players' Championship with Scotty Scheffler winning it. But there's definitely a piece of news that we need to get to, and it is going to change everything for the NFL draft. And, of course, that was the big trade that was made over the weekend between the Carolina Panthers and the Chicago Bears. The Panthers traded starting wide receiver D.J. Moore, their number nine overall pick, 
a second-round pick this year, a first-round pick next year, and a second-round pick in 2025 to the Chicago Bears for the rights to draft at number one overall. The expectation is that the Panthers are looking for their franchise quarterback. To discuss this trade as a man who's part of the radio broadcast team for the Carolina Panthers and a man who, well, was a starting quarterback for the Carolina Panthers. Our old friend, the Louisiana Sports Hall of Famer and Raging Cajun legend Jake DeLome joins us now. Jake, good morning, brother. How are you, my friend? I'm doing very well, and I'm uh, most probably like many. I uh, figured Chicago would be trading the pick, and I thought it would be before free agency. Uh, I just didn't know if Carolina would be the one to be able to move up from nine. But we are, and now we uh, we get to pick who exactly we want to be our quarterback. Let's hope we can hit on the right guy. Do you feel like that's a ton to give up to, to pick a franchise quarterback, or do you think that's pretty par for the course these days? If it hits, it's never, it's uh, not nearly enough then. I mean, that's, that's going to be the whole thing is does the pick hit? I mean, if this guy becomes uh, a top 10 quarterback in the league, that's kind of, that's what you're looking for. That's what every team is looking for. So um, we, won't, we, won't, we don't know. I think it was great for Chicago. They recoup some picks. They need a lot of help there. And you get another receiver to give their young quarterback a true shot to see if he's going to be their franchise quarterback. So, um, so, but but you have to hit. I mean, that's what it comes down to. Carolina has to hit with this guy. Uh, they have to hit, and you're exactly correct. The Bears feel like they've hit with their guy. Now they're trying to give him weapons. As someone who knows and has seen DJ Moore play, what is he going to bring to the table for the young quarterback Justin Fields and the Chicago Bears offense? Well, I think it's a combination of things. You have the Mooney kid out of Tulane who's the uh, – take the top off the defense type of guy who's really proven to be effective in the NFL. You have the big slot type of receiver uh, in Claypool who they traded for last year, and he'll be a free agent at the end of the year. So it's a big year for him. You have the tight end in Komet, and now you add D.J. Moore who can truly be a number one wide receiver. So you're going to give him every opportunity uh, with the threat of Justin being able to run the football. You're going to put defenses um, in a bind. Are they going to play coverage, or are they going to have to put an eighth element in the box to be able to stop the run game because of what the quarterback brings so a lot will be determined they're going to need to shore up some of the offensive line they have a ton of money to spend Chicago does to try to get a couple of pieces up front so DJ is a very good wide receiver I don't think there's any doubt um, drafted in 2018 by Carolina in the first round of the latter part of the first round and really and truly never had that true quarterback I mean Cam Cam was start, starting to be injured, Cam, at that time. Um, and then from that point on, it's been kind of mu- musical chair. So DJ is a very talented receiver, a very good run after the catch receiver. Kind of wish we could have gotten the ball more. I think that would have helped us. But uh, it sounds like Chicago, that was part of the trade, and, and they were not going to they not were, they were not gonna not accept a DJ more. They needed him. They're, the receiver crop is fairly thin, free agent-wise. So uh, they needed him, and – we desperately want to move up. Uh, Mr. Tepper uh, desperately wants a franchise quarterback, and now we sit at the top, and uh, we'll see if we can pick the right one. Who's the guy that you think the Panthers are going to pick? <laughs> Listen, I, I'm like most. I think it's between Young and Stroud. Um, you hear so many different reports and things that are out there. Um, yes, I, I think Young, if not, if he wouldn't be 5'10", I, I don't think there'd be any question. It would probably most likely be him. But Stroud did such a good job the latter part of this year. 
but more so against Georgia. It's very simple. The Stroud that we saw play against Georgia was one that we really and truly didn't see the majority of his career, the way he was able to run, use his legs, and because that wasn't a good college defense. That was an NFL defense. Georgia it was an NFL defense. They're NFL players all over that defense. So uh, I think he put himself into the conversation, to say the least. Sound like the um, the combine. He was very impressive throwing the football and in meetings. Bryce was, I think, very impressive in meetings also. We'll see him throw the football uh, his pro day coming up. But then again, yeah. Uh, I, I prefer to go off the tape. You can go off the tape, Jake, and look, you played this position. You played it at a high level. You played in a Super Bowl. When you look at these two guys, they both have uh, some some extremely good qualities. What stands out to you about Young and about Stroud in particular? Well, I've seen uh, – total disclaimer, I've seen Young play more than Stroud. Uh, traveling on Saturdays uh, to head to Carolina, I, I miss many of, honestly, the, the, the college football games. But uh, being Alabama and the SEC, I've probably seen more games um, of, of young. And I think what does it for me with him is just from the, from the neck up. I think the guy is NFL ready. He had an NFL offensive coordinator for two years and Bill O'Brien uh, going against quality defense, certainly in Alabama. But just watching him and really and truly, I was more impressed in two losses he had this year, one at Tennessee and one at LSU. Uh, he brought his team back to put his team in position to win. Um, and some of the checks that he made on the road, I don't have to tell you what kind of hostile environment LSU is. Again, at Tennessee, to bring that team down, I watched him change the protection, uh, change the play, and call the perfect play with the running back who <laughs> run an angle route who dropped the pass. That would have put him inside the 10-yard line. Um, so I've seen him do some great things. And Stroud, like I said, watched a few games of him play. But the game that I did pay attention to was the Georgia game. And the guy played lights out. He played awesome. I do understand he's playing with Marvin Harrison Jr. Uh, and he does have a, a ton of NFL wide receivers, whereas Alabama – I'm not so sure they had that this year. Uh, still some good players, don't get me wrong, but they didn't have the typical Alabama receivers that you do see. But Stroud was fantastic in that football game. Ball placement, maneuverability, uh, two hands on the ball, stepping up in the pocket and things of that nature, making tight window throws. So they both put themselves in position to be picked very, very early. Um, I feel very comfortable with the staff in Carolina, with Frank Reich. Jim Caldwell has been around it for forever. Josh McCown being the quarterback coach. Uh, Josh has played, gosh, I think 18 to 20 years in the league. We were teammates for a couple of years uh, along the way. Uh, I think they know what it looks like. And so uh, I think they'll make the right decision going forward. With trading Christian McCaffrey and now trading up and trading DJ Moore, uh, you're going to have to have some maybe younger guys step up. You don't have a second-round pick this year either. Is there going to be enough talent in your opinion, around the young quarterback to help his development? No, I think so. And this is this is where I, I'm trying to look at it through Panther lens here. The offensive line is a solid offensive line. That's one thing that you're picking first overall. Usually it's a bad football team, whereas Joe Burrow a few years back, he got sacked so many times and things like that. But uh, we have a solid offensive line. Um, we do have a second-round pick. We have two. We right. had the 39th and the 61st. We traded the 61st. So we have a 39th uh, pick in the second round. So we do have one, um, which, is, which will be great for us um, this year. So 
I, listen, we, we do need to get a receiver or two to help. I, I don't think there's any doubt. Terrace Marshall showed some flash, flashes. LaVisca Chenault, we need a receiving tight end. I think Frank will go after that. But I think the ability to protect the quarterback and have a solid run game is there in Carolina, and that's going to be a young quarterback's best friend. Jake, we'll wrap it up with this. Now that they're up to one, do you think the Panthers are done? Do you could, Or could you see them wheel and deal and maybe trade back a couple of spots to get uh, even more picks. You know, I don't know. I know that's been floated out there. Um, it, it, you'd have to get a decent amount of return back unless you're split on the uh, the two quarterbacks or three, whoever it is. I, I'm not so sure if, if Levis is, isn't in the picture or, or the Richardson kid out of Florida. That, that's one thing we just don't know. And there's going to be so many smoke screens coming out. Yeah, there uh, it is. That, there's so many stories and lies. It's just – it's comical, some of the things that gets put out. Um, so I would be surprised, but listen, it's, it's so different now uh, with the younger GMs and the aggressiveness and things like that and, um, and owners uh, allowing these young G- GMs to make all these moves. So I, I, would, I would be surprised, but listen, there's so many things that surprise us now in the NFL. Trades are just so much more commonplace uh, than they have been pre- uh, previously. Jake, always appreciate the time, brother. Thank you for being gracious with us. And uh, be safe out there and enjoy the offseason, my friend. Yeah, definitely will. It certainly uh, made it extremely uh, entertaining for the next uh, (laughs) five, six weeks before the draft. This is RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. This is RP3 and Company. Live from the Evco Development Studios in Upper Lafayette on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. I told you it was going to be a jam-packed edition of RP3 and Company. College baseball, softball, NCAA men's and women's brackets, Will Wade being hired at McNeese, Scotty Shuffler winning the Players' Championship. The Panthers trading all the way up to number one with the Chicago Bears. And we've covered it all for you. Covered it all for you. Time for us to come clean, though. I'm always ready for the draft. Our guy Dawson, not ready. He said during the break he can't be dealing with draft stuff right now because he's in full NCAA tournament mode. My man can't even be thinking about the draft. You're acting like it's next week. We've got, we've got half of March and all of April, so I've we we got time here. So five weeks. That'll be that, six. That'll be that'll be gone in six a and some change. That'll be gone in a heartbeat, Dawson. That's okay. Well, fortunately, I'm not making any selections this year. The Saints haven't reached out. They don't need any help. So everything <laughs> I do is going to be for the pure entertainment purposes of our audiences, which. Listen, when the time comes, I will be prepared to let you know what the Saints should do. Our first mock drafts for the Saints will be unveiled this week on our YouTube channel. That'll be done. That'll be done. Uh, Each one of us, myself, Dawson, James, and Matt, are all doing a mock draft as we are pretending to be Mickey Loomis for the Saints. I'm just going to go and throw it out there right now. My first mock draft is the right one and the best one. So, sorry ahead of time to everyone else that's taking part. Right. Just like your bracket is, huh? 
Oh, no, I don't brag about my I'm the worst at the bracket. I'm the worst. I will always, every single year, have a Final Four team lose on the first weekend. Every time. I've every been, time. I, I'll tell you, I, I haven't been like the best bracket, you know, bracket every engineer time. over time, but I've been really solid about picking the national champion. I think I've got maybe, f- I think it's four of the last six years I've had the champion correct. So um, we're going to try and keep that going. I, though I have less of a feel this year. I haven't. I have an inkling of where I'm leaning champion-wise right now here on Monday morning. Oh, there it is. Um, I have a I have a feeling, and it's a team. I'll, I'll give you a little tease here. It's a team that you're not as high on as as maybe some uh, some other folks, but that's where I'm leaning. We'll see if that. Uh, again, I don't lock my my you know lock down number one my opinion bracket in until I see some of the play-in games because sometimes that can kind of uh you know play a factor. Some of those eleven seeds can make some noise. So um, I have a real feeling of where I'm headed, but I'm not quite. Not quite settled on my champion yet, and then the rest of the bracket we'll kind of we'll kind of see. Man's already figuring out things on his bracket. I usually wait a day before even thinking about it. Like I'll look at the I'll look at the bracket. I'll be like, okay, but before I start making my picks, and here's my rule of thumb with this as well. And, and I don't take my own advice. I never take my own advice. My advice is the first bracket you fill out, that's the one you should roll with. One hundred percent agree. I never do that. Now I'll I, fill out a bracket, and then I'll make changes. And every single time, those changes that I make to my bracket are the wrong ones. Every single time. Well, and again, I, I like I said, I pick one and I roll with it. Now, what I will do is I'll have my first bracket, and whether I make it in an app or I will write one on paper. I like to write my actual bracket down on paper as well, just as a side, you know, just to also hold myself accountable. You put it in ink oh. once you're decided on things. Man's got principles. Um, but so I will fill out that initial bracket probably this at some point this morning or this afternoon when I get a minute. I'm going to fill out that first kind of idea. But I will give myself and and my champion and things like and the major picks probably will not change. Again, I will give myself the idea, especially after some of those play-in games, if I have a team, you know, sometimes I like an 11-6 matchup, but then the team that I had winning the second-round game doesn't even get out of the play-in, so then I'll maybe make an adjustment there. Um, And then maybe, you know, again, you'll have maybe some injury news come out. So I won't lock that bracket in until probably Wednesday night, the night before the tournament begins. Oh, there we go. But today, I will have that first, the first bracket I fill out will kind of be my general ideas, and and, and mostly it's not going to change after that. And then, of course... I'm going to fill out a bunch of brackets for fun. A few of them will have the Cajuns take cutting down the nets yes. in Houston. So, uh, one year we did. <laughs> one year I filled out a bracket and I had just went ridiculous. We did a, a, a bracket pick simulator, which you can do on some some of the the, the digital brackets. And, and I had Grand Canyon in the Final Four, and I was like, "That sounds awesome. Let's roll with." <laughs> Let's roll with that. The simulator just spits it out. Generated Grand Canyon Final Four team. Okay, why not? They're back in the mix as well. They won the whack. They 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 did Big win the wiggity wiggity whack. whack. Too. Yeah, my Utah Valley Wolverines just a heartbreaker for oh, them. Oh, there I mean, it is. Your Utah Valley. Listen, one of the biggest collapses I've ever watched. Uh, they were up by twenty three points with sixteen minutes left. Um, they were they missed six straight free throws at one point down the stretch with two minutes left. They were up by three with four and a half seconds left. They tried to foul to avoid the you know the three point shot. You're, you're burying the, the lead here. They make the and one on the three point shot, four point play to take the lead. But then after all that, the Wolverines come back the other way. Oh, came back. They've got a breakaway layup. They get the guy gets behind the defense at the buzzer layup to win the game. Rolls out. Oh, that's heartbreaking. It was heartbreaking. You're burying the lead. Okay. You're a two team guy. You have multiple teams that you root for. Okay, that's burying the lead, all, right? First of all. It's very different 
Let's let's get first of all. I do have two teams I root for because I graduate from two schools. So that's fair. Unfortunately, the Knolls are not uh, participating in the NCAA tournament this year. It was a bit of a down year for yeah, uh, Coach good. Hamilton squad. But bit of a down year. Yes, yes. The other teams that I root for and follow are not like I'm not rooting for them if they play the Cajuns. It's not even a question. Like it's not like that. So I think it's different. Listen, there's 300 college teams. I I and I, I'm a person who sports is kind of all I do. I don't have a whole lot of things going on outside of that. Okay. Maybe that's good. Maybe that's but, bad. But, but besides preparing your audition tape for The Bachelorette, but we, we'll continue. We'll, right, I, right. We'll address that another day. Um, But the point being, I have some other teams that I kind of follow around, root for, Do you and like to watch. So college is different, okay? So what about pro? I've got uh, – it's just the Saints. I mean – That's just the Saints. Yeah, I went through a phase where I really uh, – like supported the Chiefs and that was around the Alex Smith time I was a big Alex Smith at the time and then they got Patrick Mahomes and it wasn't fun anymore so I was like uh eh. like I'll go through phases where I really like this core group of guys on this team so okay. I'm kind of rooting for them you know and I liked I liked following Tom Brady's career I really liked rooting for him I know that's unpopular especially around here even when he's for the Bucks if the Saints weren't going to beat him then I was like yeah I'd like to see Tom because I like the legacy stuff but I know I don't have like a second team that's like my second go-to it just kind of depends on you know, if I like a group of guys or not. I see. I see. Yeah. I see. Interesting. Interesting. I like stories, but I don't root for other teams. Like, okay. I, I like stories. I, I enjoy a good story, a good storyline, if you will. Um, but I don't root for other guys. Well, I'll tell you, I root for just about any group of five team in college football and basically any mid-major team in college basketball. Um, because I think a they're not given a fair shake. I think the system is set up for them to be unsuccessful. We'll have more on that later in the week. Yes, um, we will. The mid majors have been. You haven't been noticing the mid majors have been they're being phasing phased them out, out of the NCAA out. tournament. Now you yes. still get, of course, the conference champions in. We'll see how long that lasts. Um, now also there's this talk of expanding the tournament, which would just be a disaster oh. in my opinion. But we don't have time to get in all that. The point being. Um, I support the little guys, but the funny thing, and people give me a hard time about this, my friends and stuff, because I also really like dynasties. I don't know. It's just a thing that of me. I really enjoy, like, I, I The man loves David and Goliath. Exactly. There you go. That's a great way to say it. But, you know, not like the traditional, like, if a team's really good but not a dynasty, then I don't like them. <laughs> like, if you're going to win, win every year, and then I'll start supporting you to continue the dynasty. So, so... But you said that you stopped like paying attention and really kind of rooting for Kansas City, and they became a yeah, dynasty. Yeah, and so then, so so, but the difference was would like, be a better way to describe it. when they were kind of under the radar, and Andy Reid was winning a bunch of games, and I was kind of like banging the drum for like y'all aren't you know seeing what's going on, how incredible this this team that Andy Reid puts together every single year is, and he's got Alex Smith, who's this journeyman quarterback, and it was again the story more that more so. And then they became the they they got Mahomes they were great so it wasn't as fun now that they're the dynasty though so that's kind of how it is when they get to the end and it's like either the Chiefs who have already kind of been there and done that and won championships or this kind of up and coming new team like the Eagles per se that came up I'm like no I'll root for the Chiefs because I just want to see the same team dominate I don't want everyone to get their cake unless it's the Saints or the team that wins every year you're a complicated man yeah there's a lot you know and we don't have time on a three hour show so (laughs) good news is I'll be back tomorrow so. Poll question of the day. It's not too late to get your votes in. How many brackets will you be filling out? 40% of you say none, but we have 27% say they will fill out two to three. 23% say they'll just fill out one. And 10% of you say you're going to fill out 
four plus brackets. LC Izzle on the Twitter says the city likes fun, but definitely dislikes basketball more than we like fun. Krista on Twitter says, I'll fill out two or three at work. Ton, who schooled you last year? Oh, that's right, me. If you need help this year, let me know. Ooh, some, some smack talk going on there. Ralph on Twitter says, got tired of being humiliated by the coworker who thinks a charge is something on her Amazon card and double dribble is what her son does when he eats applesauce. She picks by the mascots in uniforms and kicked my butt every year. Can only take so much. <laughs> yeah, that happens. That happens, man. It's such a crapshoot, which makes filling out a bracket so much fun, which makes this time of year just so much fun. We got to take a timeout. When we return here on RP3 and Company, we will wrap up today's show, get you set up for Kevin Foote and Footnotes. That's all coming up next right here on The Game. This is RP3 and Company on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Great news, my sports-loving friend. No more aimlessly searching for sports talk love by swiping left or right. That's because you've already found the perfect match. For sports talk love, that is... Now, back to the only lover you'll ever need. The game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. It's been such a jam-packed day. NFL draft trades. UL men's basketball team headed to the NCAA tournament. The LSU women heading to the tournament. McNeese hiring Will Wade. Scotty Shuffler winning the Players' Championship. So much going on. So much. Raging Cajun baseball, softball. I totally forgot about the McNeese baseball team. Shout out to the Cowboys. They walked it off yesterday, 11-10, with a win over Prairie View A&M. To complete a three-game weekend series sweep, they improved 11-5 on the season. So, shout-out to the Cowboys for that. Final results on the poll question of the day. We asked you, how many brackets will you be filling out? 40% of you say none, but 27% say two to three. 23% say just one. 10% say they'll be filling out four-plus. So... Dawson, 60% of the people here in the area will be filling out a bracket, bud, at least one, if not more. So does that make you feel any better that 40% say they'll be filling out not a single bracket? I mean, we, we, we raised the number, so we can't look, we can't save the world all at once, but we made a difference, so that's what's important. <laughs> we made a difference. I want to take a moment to thank our guests that helped us kick off this fun-filled, jam-packed week. Here on RP3 and Company, Jeff Plermo from Tiger Rag Radio, Kevin Price, editor, reporter from PGATour.com, and of course, the Raging Cajun football legend, Louisiana Sports Hall of Famer, Jake DeLome. Appreciate them for stopping by and helping us kick things off the right way. Hey, just an update. I did not watch a single inning of the World Baseball Classic over the weekend. My apologies to you. That's, you know, 
kind of a problem, but we'll get, you know, we don't Did you? I sure did. I watched the first three innings of last night's USA game. I would have watched the whole thing, but... You had to work. I am a morning producer, so... The game started at 9, what, 9.30, 9.45, something ridiculous. I was um, spit, man. I'm already mentally preparing myself for kind of how I'm going to do the sleep type thing Thursday night because the Cajuns play at 8.40. Ugh. And so you're thinking 9. And again, that's tentative. Now, wait, that's what I wanted to check on earlier. I'm going to get. I'm gonna try and find out. I'm hoping that, you know, a lot of these regional sites have gaps, you know, in between where the first couple games happen. So those... You know, the ones that happen after the gaps, you know that that first game's going to start on time. I'm hoping that's what the Cajuns are, are dealing with. But 840, they might not be. Honestly, they might be the second game in that stretch. So, But, yeah, hey, bud. Yeah. You're going to have to just pace yourself. Because, you know, Mexico, they dominated Team USA. Yeah, it was bad. It was bad. Australia books their first trip to the classic quarterfinals. Venezuela's in the driver's seat in the dangerous pool D. And Canada trounces Britain as the team set classic record for runs. So, look, I'm paying attention. I know what's going on. I may not be watching the games. You're paying attention to your computer screen right now. That doesn't mean you're paying attention. (laughs) With my newsletter that popped into my email from MLB Morning Lineup, yes. Well. Israel rallied to stun Nicaragua, by the way. Who had that in their brackets? (laughs) Find me that guy. Um yeah, no, but so, look, with the Cajuns on, on a, a late night on Thursday night, I think I'm going to have to kind of position this. And look, the bottom line is, like I said, the NCAA tournament is going to take my priority here. So if I have to miss a couple of World Baseball Classic games. isn't it? Doesn't it wrap up like on Monday, a week from today? What, the World Baseball Classic? Yes. Is it that soon? I don't know. You've I got, think it's pretty quick. Well, you've got the, I mean, right now we're finishing up pool play. you got a couple more games of pool play, and then you'll have the eight-team Single elimination kind of bracket. Yeah, quarterfinal semis. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's Monday, bud. I think it's Monday. Uh-huh. More. We'll dive, dive in deeper to the World Baseball Classic later this week. You can bet on that. For the producer, soon-to-be extraordinaire, Dawson Iserlow, I'm Raymond Parsh, the third, better known as RP3. We'll do it all again tomorrow, 6 to 9. But until then, be safe out there. Be kind to one another. Kevin Foote and Footnotes is up next here live from the EFCO Development Studios in Upper Lafayette. You're listening to the game.